almost 200 teenagers. Just think of all of the energy that's here, all of the potential. And uh, so what we'll, we're going to start with a prayer, and, uh, and then we'll begin. So let's all pray. Lord, we thank you that you have brought so many of us to Eastern Camp. Especially, Lord, we thank you for each one of the teens that are, that are here with us this evening. We pray, Lord, through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, through the power of it, that you would fill this room, that your presence would be felt by each one of us, and that you would bless us as we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. If I took a survey among some of my peers, my name is Gary Tomic. I'm from Kitchener, Strasburg Road. Uh, I'm the one in six that are here, and probably one in six teenagers are here from Strasburg Road as well. I'm in my late 30s. If I took a survey among my peers, what they thought about their teenage years, for us that was just over 20, well, 20 years ago, it's a long time ago, but we have many memories from our teen years. Some of them are great. Those are the times where we made some first-time experiences. That's where we went the first time when we started high school. It's when we started to drive a car. For many of us, it was for me, when I, when I turned 16. It was the time when I first felt that I loved somebody. And before, you know, girls were always this thing, ooh, stay away from cooties. But suddenly things started to change, like, hey, there's some pretty nice girls around here. And that's the time in your teenage years when you start having feelings like that. But not all of the experiences that we make during the teen years, as you can probably identify, are always positive. Some of my peers have expressed that that during the teen years, there were a lot of fears that they experienced, a lot of real struggles. There was a time where they were thinking, worried about school. How am I going to make the grades? Am I going to pass? They were thinking about, how am I fitting in with my peers? I'm a little bit different, especially when you turn 13 and you turn 14 and 15 you start maturing, your body starts to change, and sometimes it changes faster than you expect, or sometimes it's changing slower, especially as you compare yourself to be with your peers. And then you think of sometimes the fear of, what am I going to do about my career? I, I, I don't really know. It, it's kind of this fear of the unknown. What am I supposed to choose? And for some, they struggle with feelings of inferiority. Feelings of, and I know when I was teenage years, there were times where I struggled with thoughts of suicide because I wasn't really fitting in. I was really struggling. And I thought of death. But then I was fearful of death too because I knew I wasn't ready to meet God. And so that wasn't a solution either. And so as we grow up, And as you are now experiencing, there are certain good experiences and certain bad experiences that you will go through. But the teen years are really special. And the reason they're so special is because some of the decisions that you are going to be making during these years will affect the rest of your life for good or for bad. I think as the the human condition, one of the things that we really struggle with is we often don't fear the things we should, and we fear the things that we should not. 
And let me illustrate that with a story, true story. A man named Larry Walters. Larry always wanted to fly, but his eyesight was not good enough. He could not get his pilot's license. And so he decided he's going to fly anyway, and, but not with an airplane. What he decided to do is he went to the nearby Army surplus store, and he bought some weather balloons, and he bought over 40 of them. And then he went to a supply store and got a whole bunch of helium tanks, and he took them to his home, took an extra-strong armchair, tied it to his Jeep, and then tied the 40 or so weather balloons to that chair, and he filled up the weather balloons with helium. And so then, unfortunately, he was not so good in math, so he didn't know how much helium to put in and how much he would need to, to be able to fly in the air. And his means of control was to take a pellet gun with him, and he was going to sit in that chair, rise up, at least this is what he thought, he was going to rise up in the air, and he's going to be able to control his height. And when he was going too high, he would shoot some of the balloons so that the helium would escape, and then he would lower, lower, come down to the ground gently. Of course, Larry should have maybe thought a little bit before he did this. He should have feared maybe of what are some of the things that could happen that could go wrong, but he didn't. And so he filled those helium balloons. His friends cut the line to the Jeep, and to his shock, he went flying through the air really fast. And he was scared. He didn't know what to do. And what he should have done is to take out that pellet gun and start shooting some of those balloons. But he was paralyzed with fear, and he rose up to 15,000 feet. Okay, I don't know how he was able to breathe up there. But he was 15,000 feet in the air. And as he was floating there, he at least had the presence of mind to take some water and some food with him so he could be up in the air for a time. And he started floating. This is now in California. Floated from San Pedro over Long Beach. And while he was going over Long Beach, he went through restricted airspace. And they had to stop all the airplanes. In fact, in LAX, that was one of the approaches to LAX. And they had to shut down the airport because this man was flying with his lawn chair in the air. And so finally... He got enough courage, and he took out his pellet gun, and he shot a few of the balloons, and he slowly started to come down. But as he shot the last one, I guess, I don't know if he was shaking too much or whatever, but he dropped his pellet gun. It fell. It's gone. He has no more control. But at least he shot enough of those weather balloons, and he came down. But because he didn't have any control, his balloons, the lines to the weather balloons, they got ensnared in a high-voltage power line, caused a blackout. Short circuit there. Fortunately, Larry was not hurt, but he came to the ground to a real welcoming party of police and fire, the, the policemen and the fire department, as well as ambulances, and he got fined, a pretty significant fine. But as we think about Larry and the foolish thing that he did, the fact that he didn't allow the fear of saying, well, maybe this is a dumb idea, I could really get hurt. No, he decided to do it anyway. Sometimes we're like that in our life, and more so while we are younger than once we're older. Because once, as we get older, we've made experiences through a life that teaches us that there are consequences to our decisions, and we are a little bit more cautious to make those decisions when we know that we are not always in control of our life. Now, 
Larry's not the only one that has made an experience like that. We, ha we have many of those experiences in the Bible. And I'd like to read one of those experiences to you. We can find that in Numbers chapter 13. And we'll begin a few verses at verse 17. If you want to follow along, Numbers chapter 13. Because here is a biblical account where the children of Israel got that mixed up too. That they feared when they shouldn't have feared. Numbers 13, we'll begin our reading at verse 17. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. This is 12 spies that he's chosen. They've now just uh, traveled from Egypt. They've come through. They've been a long journey. They come at the, at the cusp of the promised land, at the border there. So they choose out 12 spies to go look and see what is this promised land like. And Moses said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go into the mountain and see the land, what it is. And the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, or what the cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, or, and be ye of good courage and bring back the fruit of the land. He had to tell them to be of good courage because this is a dangerous mission going into a foreign land. They have no idea what they're going to find. And so now we skip down to verse 25, and it says, And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. And they went and came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them and unto all of the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it flowed with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Malachites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it, it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak there which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And the scripture goes on in the following chapter of how that fear paralyzed them, we did not allow them to go forward into what God had commanded them. And I'd like to use this scripture to describe what paralyzing Fear is like, and I'm going to use fear as an acronym. The first aspect of fear that paralyzes is that it makes us fruitless. They were at the border, coming through a wilderness. Not much there, not much fruit, not much trees, not much vegetation, not much water. And they came on the border. They could have entered in to a land, as it says, flowing with milk and honey. As much fruit as you could imagine and crops. And yet that paralyzing fear prevented them 
from experiencing the bounty of that fruit. They, because of that fear, they remained fruitless. And that's what happens with paralyzing fear in our life. As we fear some of the things that we, uh, as we, as we think them through, and if we're paralyzed, in other words, we're stuck, we can't move forward to do what we know needs to be done, we can never experience the fruit that God wants us to experience. E stands for it. Fear eats us up. Just like they said in that verse that we read together, Verse 32, they said, this is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. In other words, it's going to consume us. If we go into this land, those people are going to make mincemeat of us. We're finished. There's no way we can stand up against it. I don't want to do that. But what they didn't realize, it wasn't the inhabitants that they had to be fearful of. They had to be fearful. They had, they're supposed to fear fear itself. That is what was eating them up. And that was what was preventing them from fulfilling God's commands and then getting the promises from that. They were afraid. What, are they, what were they afraid of? It says, The people are strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled and they're very great. There's giants there. There's no way. We're as grasshoppers in their sight. Not a chance that we can overcome it. And in some ways, they're right. They were right. There were some real obstacles there. And if they just sauntered into this land and thinking, we can do it, we're powerful, we'll take them, no problem, they may have failed. They probably would have failed. In fact, several chapters later, we, we read that they tried to do it and they did fail because they were not obedient because that fear paralyzed them and they were not able to inherit the promised land. What fear are you paralyzed with here tonight or this week or over the last several months? I know that when I was a teenager, I was afraid of giving my life to the Lord. There were some real challenges, some real giants in my life. There were some real strongholds that I didn't know how they could be broken down. And that fear paralyzed me. And I could not make forward progress. Some of you will be able to identify with that. In fact, there's, what, 22% of you that are converted? The rest are not. You have, you have not been able to cross over the threshold. I don't know what's keeping you. But perhaps it is fear. Maybe that's what's paralyzing you. I know I've talked to some over the years. These are real fears. When I come back, come home from camp, I can't face my friends. I know that I'm going to be sucked back come August or September, whenever you start school, into that peer group, and they're going to drag me away, even though I want to serve God. Or there's some habits that I have that I'm stuck in, and I've tried to stop, and it doesn't, I don't have the power to do it. Those are real problems. There's real fear. But I want to talk to you in a minute of how we can deal with those fears. Because there is the last letter in the word fear. And paralyzing fear causes us to resist the solution that God has for us. The solution that the children of Israel had was they were supposed to go in one 
tribe at a time and that they were going to conquer this land. But they turned around and resisted that. No way were they going to take God's direction, God's solution for their fear. And that's what happens with paralyzing fear. We resist what God wants us to do and tells us to do. So, paralyzing fear. What are the four things that <clears throat> make up paralyzing fear? F. Somebody give me the, what does F stand for? Fruitless. Fruitless thank you. What's E stand for? Eats us up. Eat, fear eats us up. That's right. A, what does A stand for? I'll give you a hint. It's another word for fear. Afraid. We're afraid, just like they, the children of Israel were afraid. What's R stand for? Resist. We resist God's solution for us. Now, not all fear is bad. This paralyzing fear is bad, but God tells us in his word, if we look at um, Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. This fear is talking about is this reverence or respect for God that we are to have. In some ways, it seems like it's a contradiction. But that's because there's two kinds of fear. We talked about the fear that paralyzes, but there's also the fear that galvanizes. Do you know what galvanize means? It means being made aware and taking action as a result. Fear can be a very big motivator. And sometimes that's what we need in our life. Rather than being fruitless, fear can make us fruitful. We heard that in a testimony last night. John Gerhardt, as he shared his experience, where he had started down a road and he was fruitless. In fact, well, in some ways, he was reaping all the wrong kinds of fruit. And in order for him to turn around because he was afraid to die, he had to give in, to listen to God's call. And then fruit started happening. That fear came out of the fear of consequence, fear of knowing that if he died, he was not ready to meet his maker. And I've had that kind of fear. When I knew at 16 years old that I was not ready to meet God, and I was felt paralyzed by that fear. But then it did galvanize me. It did move me to action where I did give my life to the Lord and things dramatically changed. No, I was not perfect. No, I didn't struggle. No, it's not as if I didn't struggle at times. But there was a big difference that happened and fruit started happening in my life. And I started receiving the blessings of God. You see, E with galvanizing fear, sometimes makes us eager. That's what we saw with Caleb. You see, when all the others were complaining, the other ten spies saying, no way can we go into the land, Caleb, he could have muttered under his breath, ah, oh, these wimps, these sissies, you know, these, uh, I can't believe I'm stuck with these guys. No, he didn't do that. He actually stood in front of the people, and the Bible says, we read it together, that he stilled the people saying, hey, 
calm down, guys. Don't be so afraid. And that's what, sometimes what fear can do. We become eager. In fact, we can read in the New Testament sometimes that really the, the, the fear of God or the, what we call, or what the Scripture calls godly repentance is something that makes us eager, that we want to do what is right. But it's not doesn't just end in eagerness because some of you have experienced that. Maybe it was last year at camp where you had that eagerness. You wanted to give your life to the Lord. You wanted to make it right. But then you didn't act because it's not easy. It's a lot easier to think about it and to be eager, but then the hard work begins. And we need to act. And Caleb was ready to act. He wasn't procrastinating. What did he say? Let us go up at once to possess the land. And that's what we can do if we act, not procrastinate. Because that's probably the number one excuse that I experience and that you probably have experienced as well. There's another time to do it. You know, yeah, great. Be eager. The enemy will say, oh, that's great. You're going to make a good decision here. You want to give your life to the Lord. Or there's some, even as a Christian, there are some things in your life that God has revealed that we need to uh, open up to him for his healing to grow in that area. But we'll say, tomorrow, next week, next month. No, we need to act in order for us to be fruitful. And then we need to receive, receive God's solution for us that he has for us. And what is that? It's his sacrifice, accepting his love for us so that he can transform us to take us out of that realm of fear. Now, I talked about this galvanizing fear, and there's a lot of good that can come out of it. But it is not God's best for us. He doesn't want us to live in fear, certainly not in paralyzing fear. Sometimes in galvanizing fear, but not perpetually there, not always in that, because it's not a pleasant place to be. He wants us to move beyond that, which is why the Scripture, well, if you do a search, you'll notice that in Scripture, Jesus used this word many times throughout the entire Scripture. There's probably close to 100 references of fear not. He doesn't want us to stay in the place of fear. For some, they think the solution to fear is power or privilege or wealth. If that were the solution, a man like Joseph Stalin would not have been living in fear. Some of you, probably many of you have heard who Joseph Stalin was. He was the, lived in Russia during the 20s, uh, became a part of the party, Communist Party secretary and grew through the ranks. That By the time, in 1941, he became the premier of the USSR and was the most powerful position there and served there for more than a decade. The problem that Joseph Stalin had is that he was paranoid with fear. He had seven different bedrooms. Each one was locked up like a safe. He would choose a different bedroom every night because he was afraid that somebody was going to take his own life. He had five different limousines that 
He would choose one, a different one, every time he had to take a trip. Each one of those limousines had curtains, so nobody could see inside. And all five of these limousines would travel to that destination, but only one of them had Joseph Stalin inside, just in case an assassin would try to get him. So this man, who had all the power, had all the privilege, was, had untold wealth, lived in fear. That was not the solution. And sometimes even we get... Uh, deceived into thinking, well, if only I was smarter, if only I was stronger, if only I was, and you can fill in the blank, then I wouldn't struggle with this fear that I have, the fear of the unknown, the fear of the future, the fear of death, the fear of not fitting into my peers, whatever it is. But that is not the solution. That will not deliver us from our fears, there is only one thing that will deliver us. And that's the theme of our camp this week. Perfect love casts out fear. That sounds kind of strange. Normally you would think the opposite of love is hate, but in some ways the opposite of love is fear. I have this crude seesaw here. I wouldn't want anyone to ride it for a number of reasons. But it's easiest to think of fear and love in this way. If fear and love are opposites, then generally, if I take this and I move it as I get more love, if this was fear, if I get more love, my fear will go down. And vice versa, if my fear goes up, my love will go down. And that's kind of what happens in our life, is that God wants to give us his perfect love, not just a little part of it, not just so that the seesaw just goes up a little bit and we have just a little bit less fear. No, he wants to put fear all the way down to zero. And he wants to do that by giving us his perfect love. the best illustration maybe to think of love and fear and how in the world does love overcome fear? Well, just eight days ago, a week ago from yesterday, there was a family in Kansas that on a hot summer evening, they didn't have air conditioning in their home. They had an 18-month-old son that was sleeping in his crib, so the father took a fan put the fan in his room, plugged it in so he had some airflow so he would not be as hot. And they all, the family, went to bed. But that fan was not rotating exactly on, uh, it did not have the right equilibrium. In other words, it, it shook a little bit. And during the night, it sort of did a little walk across the room until it came to the edge of the cord and couldn't go any further and fell over. And when it fell over, it landed on the carpet. And it didn't take too long for a fire to start. The smoke alarm did go off, but by that point, because the baby's door was already mostly shut, the flames were already, uh, had already <clears throat> advanced to the point where the exit was blocked off. 
When the father woke up, he realized that a son was behind that curtain of flame, and he was fearful. But his love for his son overcame that fear. And he was just wearing his shorts. It was black. The house was full of smoke. He could not put on shoes or, or to, to cover himself so he would not be burned. He didn't have time for that. So he ran through that curtain of flames onto the other side, picked up his son, ran back through the flames again out to safety. Why did he do that? How did he overcome his fear? Because his love was far greater than his own fear. And even though he did become burned, had to spend a number of days in the hospital, because of that, he saved the life of his son. And that's how love can overcome fear. That's what Jesus did when he came to save us. It cost him something. He had to come down he had to die for our sins. There was a great cost that had to be paid. It was a fearful thing. We can read about it in the New Testament, how fearful Jesus was about the sacrifice as he labored in prayer, as his sweat was as drops of blood. He didn't want to do it. But he did it because he loved us. His love overcame the fear that he had. And in the same way, he wants to impart that love to us so that we don't have to be fearful. Even though in our life there may be giants in front of us, there may be walled cities, there may be walls of flame, as it were, really tough situations. I don't know all the circumstances that you're going through. I know when I was in, uh, served as a volunteer at a prison of teenagers, people that got caught in the law did some heinous crimes. They were fearful of many things. And their fear sometimes drove them to do foolish things. And they really had a lot of baggage and a lot of bondage. And yet, the scripture gave them a promise. What does it say in Romans 8? For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry... Abba, Father, he wants to deliver us from whatever bondage we have to fill it up with his perfect love. We often want God to be a magician. We want him to wave his magic wand. Sometimes we pray that way. We want him to direct us in our career decisions or even we may have fallen in love with someone. And we're like, oh, I'm not really exactly ready to get married yet. I'm not right with God, but I really love this person. And uh, we'll, I'll pray to God that somehow he'll, he'll bring us together. And we treat him as kind of like the magician to do all the different things that we want him to do. But God is not interested in being our magician. He's interested in being our physician. He wants to heal us. He wants to do surgery on us. Why? Because our health, our long-term health, our eternal health, as it were, is really his goal. That's what he really cares about. He's a lot less interested on the, the trivial or the, the, the short-term things that we think, oh, 
I don't want to say that God doesn't care for our everyday concerns and problems. He certainly does. I think as I have three small children, when they come to me as I'm their father, and it seems like their world is falling apart, and I look at them like, okay, you just lost your doll. It's not such a big deal. But I don't want to trivialize it either. For them, that's traumatic. And I know even as I was growing up, there are things that were pretty traumatic to me, and I appreciated my parents, the comfort that they gave, and that they treated my problems with respect and not just trivializing them. And God does that for us as well. And so whatever challenge that you are facing here this week that you have brought with you, because we can't just like put all of our baggage into a suitcase and leave it at home when we come to camp. No, in a sense, it's in the back of our mind. We will have to deal with it. Maybe not, hopefully, maybe not here at the week at camp, but when we get home, it's going to be there for us to pick it up again. But God gives us the ability that we can get rid of that baggage, that we can get rid of that paralyzing fear. And that we can find the solution in his perfect love. Let me read as a closing, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. So if you're here this week at camp, I challenge you. Not to give in to those paralyzing fears. To listen to some of those fears, and I pray that it would galvanize, that it would spur you on to action, to do something about it. And if you're struggling to know exactly what to do about it, talk to someone. That's what I did when I was 16 years old. When I was struggling, I thought, I can do it. I'm just, I have this bad habit, this bad habit, and this bad habit. And I had a number of them. And I thought, I'm just going to not do those. One week, I'm going to start Monday. I'm not going to do this, not going to do that. And that lasted a couple days. And then it fell apart. And it got worse. And over the months, it got worse and worse. And I realized, I'm stuck. I can't get out of this. And it wasn't until I talked to someone. No, not the person. In fact, it was the elder of our church at the time, Brother Richard Falkenberger. Not because he was a special person. Yes, he had a special responsibility. God had given him that. But I felt I needed to talk to him, to share with him some of the struggles that I was dealing with. And he prayed with me. And through that time, I started on a journey that I'm still on today. And I thank God that at the age of 16, I made that choice, that I didn't have to experience some of the things that John experienced that we heard last night in his testimony. Some that were here at camp before, that, have not, that are still making those experiences. And I plead with you tonight, don't wait. Make a decision to follow through. Ask someone to help. Pray with somebody. And you will see how God, through his perfect love, will change your life. And with that, I'd like to ask Brother Jacob to come down and close with the prayer.